Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome David Hartz to the show. David is an award-winning architect, but for the purpose of this interview, I'm going to focus on the fact that in 2018, David led his team, SkySource, to become the grand prize winner in the Water Abundance X Prize out of a field of 98 teams from 27 countries. His device is able to make 2,000 liters of water from air in 24 hours using 100% renewable energy at a cost of less than two cents per liter. David, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. David, thank you for being on today. David, I like to kick the conversation off with something interesting about you that most people wouldn't know. Well, I'm an architect, um, and for 35 years, I've been practicing uh, really on sustainability and um, moving buildings towards regenerative buildings. It, I think people are all, find it interesting that someone as an architect might be involved in the water crisis. That is interesting. So 30 years in sustainable buildings, how have you seen the landscape change from when you started? Well, I think, you know, I've been teaching and practicing and we looked at sustainability, which I think we frankly never really achieved because all of the things that we imagined about sustainability were surpassed uh, in, in terms of, of environmental uh, impacts. And we've moved into an age of resilience where all of these things are now upon us. Um, and, and there's a more a sense of urgency in this kind of planetary crisis as we uh, really try to deal with 9 billion people uh, that is looking at a need for 60% more food, 80% more energy, and 55% more water. So, you know, climate change is a real threat multiplier for instability around the world and increasing migration and competition for resources, uh, certainly an important one is water. I, I agree with you. Can you expand a little bit more on resilience, what you mean by that? Well, resilience is really how, how do we respond to a much more extreme climate? How do we bounce back? How do we defend ourselves from imminent threats? And um, certainly I'm, I'm speaking with you from Malibu, California, where we yesterday uh, memorialize a one-year anniversary uh, of the Woolsey fire. Um, many people may know that we've had, you know, much more extreme wildfires as the East Coast has had much more extreme mm -hmm. hurricanes where everything seems to be a historic weather event. And it's likely that we're going to have a much more extreme climate future and uh, as part of the built environment, how do we respond to that? How do, how do we respond? How do our buildings, our communities respond? And how does especially the developing world respond when there is a shortage of essential um, you know, kind of human services needed for life? So I think, you know, you're talking about responding and what you're doing at SkySource is a way to respond, I think here'd be a good time for you to explain to the audience what is SkySource and what you guys were able to accomplish. So as an architecture firm, uh, as David Hertz Architect, I've done some innovative out-of-the-box thinking around, uh, especially systems thinking, 
around sustainability and, and, and regenerative architecture where buildings give back more than they take. But SkySource was really developed out of uh, an awareness of how limited our water supplies are. Less than 1% of all water on the planet is fresh water. It's 0.77%. Most of it is salt water. The rest is frozen. It's unevenly distributed around the planet. And um, being in Southern California during a sustained drought, um, I became acutely aware of the uh, importance of water and especially the energy water nexus because our water is transported long distances and is completely dependent upon weather systems for snowpack. And I began to study water uh, more thoroughly and, and uh, SkySource came about uh, as skysource.org uh, as a nonprofit to um, think about water and the democratization of water, not the commodification or corporatization of water. Um, I installed solar to power an atmospheric water generator at my architecture firm in Venice um, to give that water away free for the homeless. And then we continue to water 80 urban farm boxes using kids aged out of the foster care program um, to grow food for uh, a community that doesn't have really that's somewhat in a food desert. And um, this is a kind of systems thinking around um, changing the scarcity model to, to more a water abundance model because the ocean evaporates into the troposphere every day, six times more water than all the rivers on the planet. And so sky source is really, how do we, if the sky is the source and water is the source, how do we, how do we achieve that? That's, that is really the goal um, for maximization of, of, of water uh, as a kind of point of use solution around the world. And without giving away too much of the patent information, can you explain how the technology works? Yes. Um, in simplistic terms, uh, we take the humidity that's in the air. Um, we also, uh, what we did to, to be really unique around the reno renewable energy side, uh, as you mentioned, uh, amongst a wide field of teams on the Water Abundance X Prize, was to use a process called biomass gasification, to use the process of pyrolysis to heat up biomass that exists around the world, agricultural waste, you know, woody waste, you know, rice husk in India, coconuts on tropical islands. They all contained um, volatiles that can be used to drive an engine to make energy at one-tenth the cost and one-tenth the area of solar. Uh, at any given condition. It also contains moisture vapor. So we're able to heat up that moisture vapor and recycle it, creating our own augmented hot and humid environment, um, which we then can collide with a cooler surface to create condensation. So the device that we came up with is called WeDo. It's wood to energy deployed emergency water and oh, that's neat. Yeah, it's it's in the form factor of a, a small shipping container, one one quarter size of a shipping container, about about an eight by ten foot module that is rapidly deployable. That has an energy module 
and a water module and a refrigeration module and a food module. Um, it could also have a battery module. So it's a kit of parts that is somewhat antithetical to central infrastructure because we could say that the resilience imperative, really the ecological imperative of the 21st century demands nothing less than an overhaul of civic infrastructure in this age of foreseeable disruption for an extreme climate future. So, you know, the idea is that these are, um, are mobile, they're redundant, um, they're modular, and they are local, highly localized micro utilities, and they are therefore inherently more resilient, not only do they provide self-reliance for small communities at a micro scale, but they provide climate resilience um, because of their redundancy and, and, and they're not as vulnerable to large system failure with single failures. And ultimately, they can even be used for disaster relief because they could swarm and expand and contract as needed to address uh, scarcity. That is interesting. How far along on the commercialization path are you? So we're really at the beginning of the commercialization. We won the X Prize last year. The X Prize, of course, was not about winning the X Prize. It was about bringing water to people. Um, we've been. It's been one year, and we've been uh, absorbing a tremendous amount, developing our our implementation plan, and um, we have been. Um, really expanding our fundraising uh, component that we're about to roll out that really looks at impact investment funding to cover the first cost of these we do's and to get them out around the world in a um, deployable model that can, um, where we can get, you know, a lot of feedback data on. So, for those that might not be familiar with the X Prize, can you share a little bit of information about the X Prize? Of course, the X Prize is quite an amazing um, incentive prize-based uh, um, nonprofit that addresses the world's global challenges um, for the most audacious yet achievable uh, goals, and it's done in a very democratic process with with uh, change makers and visioneering that um, that defines these global goals and then um, develops incentive prizes to address them and it's, uh, so it's, it's 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 quite amazing Peter Diamandis is one of the founders there's um, you know Elon Musk and many many influencers are a part of it and it's it's really set up to, to address these global challenges. So as a 30-year architect, I have to explore why you're focused on water or this project at this stage in your career. What's the why behind you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, I, uh, you know, what, as an architect, I, I look at what we take, make, and waste. And because I've been interested in lessening the impacts of the built environment on the natural environment, We've been able to do amazing things with buildings where buildings could actually give back more than they take with 
everything really except for water in areas of water scarcity. So being an architect for the last 35 years in California, I've been acutely aware that there are limits to what we can do with water. We can conserve it and there's limits to that and we should. We can collect it when we have rain events and we should, but sometimes we don't have rain events because of climate change and extreme weather patterns. Our, our water in Los Angeles, where my practice is, is imported water from um, about a thousand miles away, a minimum, you know, three to 500 miles away. And, and it also is that great energy cost. About 19% of California's energy budget is for the distribution and pumping of water long distances. That's amazing, by the way. That's a big number. People don't make the connection between energy and water. Um, but of course, water is very expensive to move, um, especially if there's vertical uh, pumping involved. But also, you know, as there's pressures for, for resources, um, having water taken from one community by another, um, especially one as consumptive as, as large as Los Angeles, has a lot of impacts. And there, you know, a myriad of um, complexities around water rights and legal challenges on the ground. I mean, the, the amazing thing when you think about the atmosphere is that you, you literally leapfrog over all of that. So um, that you have a renewable point of use energy source um, as well as a water source. And that, that's what's amazing if we think about solar and the expansion of the renewable photovoltaic that you could convert sunlight electrons into energy at the source rather than, you know, some big nuclear plant or coal-fired utility plant five states away and, and just, you know, it's distributed energy. Why are we not doing that with water? Um, and if you think about the source being at the top of the hydrological cycle, not the bottom necessarily, like in the case of desalination or pumping long distances, it could make a lot of sense. And I, I think what's interesting is a few people know too much and most know too little about the water crisis. Um, according you know, to the World Economic Forum, water scarcity is, is, is our greatest challenge of our time. And, and the UN reports that by 2030, global demand for water is going to outstrip supply by 40%. So that is you know, we're really in this period of unprecedented disruption, radical changes are happening in the environment, and they demand really radical, innovative action. And that's, that's what got me interested as an architect in, in water. So I really like that uh, term you use, take, make, and waste. I, I think that's the interesting lenses through which to view just everything in general, life in general. What are we taking? What are we making? And what are we wasting? I was speaking recently to a colleague, you know, this whole waste to energy, waste to value sector is phenomenal. I'm watching it grow leaps and bounds. And I just hope we can do more with that waste that we are generating. Yeah, I think, I think that it's part of a nature-based systems thinking approach. If we, if we are biomimetic in the way in which we look at how there is no waste in nature. Waste equal food. It's a nutrient for something else. If we're working in virtuous cycles, 
in kind of a natural systems thinking, then we have multiple wins. And that's how I started to look at this. If we have abundant feedstock in California alone, we have 147 million standing dead trees that are part of our fire problem. They're also, as the trees and biomass decay, they liberate methane, heat trapping gases, as well as CO2 into the environment. And as they burn even more carbon. So if we can use that biomass, heat up, recycle the, the molecules and the volatiles to create energy, as you said, waste to energy conversion. But for every kilowatt of energy that we generate in that process, we get two kilowatts worth of thermal uh, energy as a byproduct. And simultaneously, the byproduct is that you're sequestering mass amounts of atmospheric CO2, and the byproduct is in the form of biochar, high temperature biochar, which is an amazing soil uh, enhancement um, for a variety of different reasons. Um, and and so now you're, you're kind of at this nexus of, you know, we kind of exist at the nexus of, of the hydrological cycle and the carbon cycle. Um, and and also really at, at the intersection of food, water, and energy. And I think that's where these things are so inextricably linked that um, where you have water, you can have food, where you have the biochar, you can have carbon farming, regenerative agriculture that then pro provides food, but also provides waste. I mean, we've been working with India, for instance, in which you know, a huge part of, say, Delhi of the air quality problem is the burning of byproduct that doesn't degrade quickly or naturally in, in the form of rice stalks and rice husk and hulls and things. Um, and that burning is, is a huge problem. So if that could be converted into energy and then with the heat, water, um, then you start to solve multiple uh, problems. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking that your devices could almost be small entrepreneurial ventures for individuals or small corporates in these other emerging countries. Well, that's exactly right, Raj. I mean, the the model that we're looking at is is a kind of conscious capitalist model where an Im impact investment fund is put together to fund these we do so that a small community uh, overcomes the first cost hurdle. And so there's no cost. We partner with a local nonprofit that really understands the culture and the people on the ground. Let's just take, for example, women in large parts of the world are away from villages walking for water long distances with a you know, myriad of, of, of problems. Uh, what if a women's cooperative was formed around a we do and that the instruments of service of electricity and water and biochar and actually even cooling were sold as a micro utility and as such that a low impact low interest loan is paid back but leaving generous proceeds for the community and that community then controls its own micro utility. Now, maybe that's done 
with microgrids in the peri-urban interface zone where where there's maybe unreliable utility infrastructure. But also, if you think about a completely rural community with no infrastructure, um, what if these things become resilience hubs? And that is that people would come to the resilience hub to refill water. Maybe they would recharge a battery and do a battery exchange. And while they're there, perhaps um, plug into internet. Perhaps there's a collaboration with the XPRIZE Global Learning um, Initiative where Google and tablets are um, disseminated uh, for education. So one could imagine that these re- resilience hubs can be very active in, in communities and help uh, people with the, the essentials of water, power, and the ability to grow food. That that really is an amaz- amazing vision. I could just imagine like almost like a small micro-community being built up around a WeDo. Exactly right. And and for instance, take take a look at the small shareholder farmer, which makes up so much of the developing world. Just being able to time the market with produce, everyone sells when there's a heat wave at the same time, therefore the value goes down. But if one could time it just by a couple weeks, the value goes way up, which is significant for a small farmer. And that could be done through refrigeration. So refrigeration is key, but then imagine also, let's say island nations that where they are the least to have contributed to climate change, but they're the first to feel their effects and they're diesel based economies that, that, that all the energy is, is created by diesel generators, but worse, the diesel is transported long distances there by diesel. So you've got this kind of three X negative multiplier on a diesel economy um, in a you know pristine um, island nation. Now, if you had weedus distributed throughout an island chain, and one island had a hurricane, these can quickly swarm. Uh, to address disaster, because when you have, uh, say, a hurricane, what do you have? You you have an abundance of wet biomass. You need energy. You need water, and you need cooling for medicine and and everything else. So, I th- I think it's an you know it's an interesting model. If you have a large central, you know, kind of multinationally owned conglomerate infrastructure. And you have a hurricane, everything goes down. You have one single point of failure. So this is also about anti-fragility um, in, in, in the way in which systems get stronger with stressors. I really like that idea. David, switching gears for a moment, you know, putting back on your architecture hat, besides solar, what technologies are you seeing or do you see on the horizon that are perhaps exciting you right now? Well, I think that um, certainly I think there's some things around food systems that are very interesting. Um, the idea of, you know, kind of vegan plant-based diet uh, technologies like Beyond Beef and the Impossible Burger, um, cellular agriculture. 
I think is a tremendously important um, field that look how how can we address feeding the world's population without you know this incredibly inefficient and inhumane you know process um, that is particularly compelling. I think that uh, battery technology, especially if we get into organic batteries like algae-based batteries or saltwater batteries um, that are less chemical dependent, is a future. Um, I think that regenerative agriculture and carbon farming and soil rebuilding is absolutely a going to be a huge pathway because we really need this kind of a mass action um, and an alternative politic to address the emergent problem of climate change and especially through water, food and, and energy systems. Um, so to sequester carbon and capture CO2 while growing food, you know, within regenerative agriculture, um, using carbon farming, it can really help to transform depleted soils into healthy soils. I, I think that's a, a big part of how we might save ourselves. And, and you know, I, I know you understand, but I, I, I'm not sure that all the listeners understand that we're really at this critical juncture of about uh, a one and a half degrees Celsius in, in the next eight years, probably faster, but no more than a decade away from a point of really no return where we start a cascade of much more extreme events. And we're already in that. And everything that's been happening with, you know, universal scientists having agreed that, that you know, this is happening at even a faster pace. So teeing off on that, what advice would you give the audience regarding sustainability or perhaps something they could do to help contribute to lessening the impact? Well, I mean, the simplest thing that people can do on this planet is to um, make a difference with their fork. I mean, the power of their fork in making food choices is tremendous. That Everyone could do that. Um, it doesn't require you to, you know, have to have the resources to build a building or lessen your impact or drive an electric car or anything, just changing your diet. Now, obviously a plant-based diet is tremendously less consumptive on many, many things, including methane and water use and um, many other things that are incredibly destructive. So even if it's a meatless Monday, you know, if it's, you know, as our city of Santa Monica, you know, uh, initiates, I mean, even, even at the, at a minimum reducing uh, what you can to um, encourage more plant-based diet is probably the single most important thing that almost everybody could do. Yeah, I think I recently heard a, a one meal a day program, OMD program, where just going vegetarian for one meal a day could make a huge impact overall. Right. So I think I think then that's that's the most accessible for for most people. Um, so and I think that there are now more and more alternatives as we discuss within cellular agriculture and all types of things that even have the taste of beef or the texture of beef or or meats um, that I think is a huge emerging market and um, and so people don't have to compromise on taste or texture to uh, to do that. Well, I appreciate that, David, and I appreciate you taking time with us today. 
Is there any last word you'd like to share? No, I just think that um, you know we're at we're in an age of resilience. It's it's just critical that we design systems that bring us together. Um, really sharing universal access to significant and transformative technologies to um, to survive the journey. Um, you know, we're we're on the spaceship Earth, as Buckminster Fuller called it. It <laughs> we're the only lone living thing in the entire universe, um, and uh, there is no way. And everything we should we should be treating it more like a spaceman economy than a cowboy economy and uh and 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 uh and i think that it's also a tremendous opportunity for innovation and transformation towards towards a you know a much a more just future so i don't think it it's compromising from an economic or job basing i think it, it's a it's a progenitor for it well david again appreciate your time today and i look forward to keeping up with your progress Great. Thank you very much, Raj. Enjoyed it.